Welcome to The Bible Teachers, featuring sermons from around Australia. And here is today's presenter, Josh Gonzalez. Happy to be here. I just want to share a message with you this morning, one that some of you may have heard before, some of you for the very first time. It's a very important message to my heart. You know, I, I, haven't, I wasn't raised an Adventist. I was raised in a Baptist church. I've been baptized for about four years now into the Adventist church. And I, I praise God for the truth that, that he allowed me to, to know through, through this church. And, you know, what, I love to preach present truth. You know, I, I love to preach the three angels' messages. I love to preach these types of messages. But one of the things that I've learned is that no matter how much truth you know, it doesn't really matter if you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Amen? And one of the things that kills our relationship with Jesus is something that we're going to speak about this morning. It's discouragement. And I don't think I'm the only one in this church this morning who has felt discouragement at one point or another in their walk with Christ. And we're going to talk about this this morning. We're going to have a prayer now. And just before I pray, I just want to ask two favors of everybody. The first favor is to pray for me. You can do it now. You can do it while I'm preaching. Just simply say to the Lord, just say, God, please, Father, put your words in his mouth. And the second favor is I want you to pray for yourself. Ask that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus may touch you this morning. That whatever happens here may draw you closer to Jesus. Can we do that? Those two favors. And now I ask you to please bow your heads with me. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I just want to thank you so much, Lord, for, for the way that you love us, Lord, for being so good to us, Lord, even though we do not deserve it, Lord. Father, we're here this morning, Lord, because we love you. We're here this morning, Lord, because we want to be closer to you, Lord. But Father, sometimes we struggle in our walk. Sometimes we get discouraged, Lord. Sometimes we fall. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as I preach your word this morning, that through your spirit, you may give me the words, Father, for your people. So that they may be encouraged, Lord, this morning. So this morning, whatever happens here may draw us closer to you, Lord. Please send your spirit to be with everybody here. And we pray, we leave this in your hands. We pray and we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll invite you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5, starting at verse 36. Most of my life I lived as a lukewarm Baptist. I went to church... I did church, but really, I had no real connection with Jesus. I wasn't ever really preached that there was a standard that we had to live by as Christians. Yeah, we would say we had to be different, but in reality, what we were learning was that we were just like everybody else. When I became an Adventist, I learned for the first time, there's a high standard that God calls us to live to. But what happens when we fall short of that standard? You see, in the spirit of prophecy, Ellen White tells me something that's been my experience. And if I don't know how to deal with this, I can end up being discouraged. She says that the closer that I come to Jesus, what will happen? The more faulty I will realize I am. The more wretched I will realize I am. The more sinful, the more dirty I realize I am. And when I'm coming to church and week after week, I'm being told the standard is here. And I see that I'm far from it. If I don't know how to deal with that, 
I can get discouraged. And I know that a lot of us here this morning have gone through this. This is unfortunately one of the biggest reasons why people leave church. Because they feel like they're getting preached that you just constantly, you have to do this, you have to do this. And when they can't do it, they get discouraged. That's why I believe that Christianity has to be practical. Amen? Do we agree with that? We can't just preach, especially to the young people. We can't just say, young people, you need to live up to this standard and then not show them practical ways that they can do it. But what we're going to read here, we're going to read some words of Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to share with you this morning is a sermon which I heard previously that I've changed a little bit. I've added a few things to it. And that's why when you hear some of the verses I preach, you may have heard this before. But what we're going to look at is we're going to look at what Jesus says about our Christian walk. We're going to look at what Paul says about our Christian walk. And then we're going to see what Ellen White says about it. And we're going to see if they're in sync with each other or if they're not. you, You guys be the judge. All right, let's look at Luke 5, starting at verse 36. Jesus is speaking. He says, then he spoke a parable to them. And sorry, just before I continue, I want to as well say... These next few verses I'm about to read only really work if you're reading the KJV or the NKJV. And the reason I say that is because you'll notice if you have, for example, the NIV, the NIV misses a word in this text that is so important and so crucial to what Jesus Christ is trying to say here. We'll get to that at the end of these verses. But if you don't, if you can somehow get a KJV or NKJV, if you don't have one right now, I encourage you to do so. Verse 36, then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. Jesus Christ is speaking parables. We know that the, way, the, the reason why he would speak these parables, because he wanted to, to just get on the same level as the people that he was speaking to. So they would understand what it is that he's trying to say. And what Jesus Christ is trying to say here, he's trying to appeal to the common sense of these people. See, back in those days, there wasn't Kmart, it wasn't Target, there wasn't these shops that you could just walk into if you wanted to buy some new clothes like we have today. Most of the people had to make their own clothes. And he's saying, look, when you're doing this, you don't grab a a, a piece from a, a new garment and put it on an old one. Because if you do, it makes a tear... And then it doesn't match. He says this to the people, trying to appeal to their common sense. And the people are thinking, yes, that's right. That's right, Jesus. He keeps going. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Again, appealing to their common sense, saying, look, You don't put new wineskin into an old wineskin. Why? Because if you do, it will burst. And the people are thinking, well, that's right. So far, what Jesus is saying is right. The next verse is the important one that I want us to focus on. And no one having drunk old wine immediately desires new, for he says the old is, what does the Bible say? Better. Now, there's a word in this verse that the whole verse relies on. You take this word out, and this is the issue that has happened in some translations, that this word has been taken out. You take the word out, and the verse has a completely different meaning. 
What word do you think is the important word? The crux of the verse right there. Have a read of the verse, guys. What, what word do you think I'm speaking of? The word is immediately. All right, let's take that word out and see what it says. We take out the word immediately and it says, And no one having drunk old wine desires new, for he says the old is better. I take out the word immediately and all of a sudden I'm being told that if I am used to, accustomed to, like the old wine, I won't come to like the new wine ever because for me, the old is better. But see, Jesus Christ throws in that word immediately and he's trying to teach these people a very important spiritual lesson no one who is used to accustomed to the old wine immediately what's that word immediately desires a new why for he thinks the old is better now when we look at what jesus christ is saying there's there's different meanings behind these verses so for example one of the meanings is that when we we see jesus christ he he came onto the scene in jerusalem and he starts preaching and, and and saying these things you know blessed are the meek and blessed are the poor in spirit and when we see it in that context we we start to look at the the uh, how it was like in those days and the mindset of the people, it seemed like Jesus Christ was, was speaking these new radical ideas. What do you mean, blessed are the poor in spirit? These look like and seem like radical ideas, but Jesus Christ, was he really bringing anything new? He wasn't. He was just repeating the things of old which they had forgotten because of their traditions and their customs that had come in and had perverted the gospel. But see, for these people, Jesus Christ was like a new wine. And he's telling them, look, you're not going to be accustomed to this new wine that I bring straight away because you're so accustomed to the old wine. It won't happen immediately, but what? It will happen. Meaning that even though at this moment, you're just finding yourself not accustomed to this new wine, not desiring and loving this new wine, Jesus Christ implies that it's not going to happen straight away, but it will happen that tells me that it involves a process can we see that we can see that and i i I want to i like to use these verses with regards to my spiritual walk you see when i was before i had jesus in my life i was very far away from jesus the old wine of my life i was so accustomed to that that For example, when I started attending church, when I had given my heart to Jesus, I I had an experience, maybe one day I'm able to share my testimony with you, of of something significant that happened in my life that caused me to give my life to Jesus Christ. And after that moment, I started attending church. And I started attending this church. See, I I used to hang out on the streets when I was younger. I used to literally be involved with people that were in the underground, in the criminal world. These were the people that I associated with. All of a sudden, I am in church now. And there's just these happy people everywhere. These people that are just so happy and so excited. And to me, it was a little bit weird. They would say to me after church, stay for lunch. And I was scared. I'd make excuses. I'd even lie to them, telling, oh, no, no, I have my family coming over for lunch. I can't stay, sorry. Because these people were just so different to what I was accustomed to. I was scared. Now, some of us may have had experiences like that. And I'm just trying to illustrate the point that because I was still so accustomed to the old wine, 
the new wine was pretty strange to me. But Jesus doesn't say to me, you'll never come to like the new wine. He says what? He says it won't happen immediately. He's saying that it will eventually happen. You see, I ended up loving my church family so much that I would start organizing lunches. I would start organizing events because I loved hanging out with these people. So what I want to take from these verses is the fact that Jesus is implying that there is a process involved. Let's look at what Paul says. Let's go to Romans chapter 1 and let's see if, uh, if Paul agrees with what Jesus is saying. Romans chapter 1 starting at verse 16. Are we all there? Can you please say amen if you're at Romans chapter 1? Romans chapter 1 starting at verse 16. The Bible says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes... For the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. How? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now this is one of the, the best verses in all of scripture. Amen. This is one of the, the verses that, that helped uh, um, fuel the Protestant Reformation. But I want to focus on these three words that Paul says in verse 17. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. He says it's from faith to faith. Now I'm still yet to, to make sure that this is true. Um, so don't take my word for it. And if you don't, if you're, I guess, curious about it, please research it. But uh, uh, an Adventist pastor had told me that in its original Greek context, it was written in a form, in a continuum form. Meaning what Paul was trying to say was from faith to faith to faith to faith. Increasing levels of faith. So when I look at this verse and I look at those words from faith to faith, it's telling me that there is a process involved in God revealing his righteousness to me. Do we see that? All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's see what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 18. Are we there? Amen? But we all. Who's he speaking of, we all? Does that involve us? Does that include us? But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I love these verses because let's look at the context in which Paul is speaking. He's speaking about transformation. Can we see that? He is saying, are being transformed into the same image. As Seventh-day Adventists, we have a famous saying, which is, by beholding, we become changed. We know that that which we behold, that that which we devote our time and attention to, changes us. So when we are spending time with Jesus, Paul doesn't say, you're going to be made into, transformed into his image straight away, does he? He says it happens how? From glory to glory. Again, telling us that there is what involved? A process. Let's look at the next chapter. Let's look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed how? Day by day. What kind of language is that? The outward man perishing and the inward man being renewed. What's he speaking of? Sanctification. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, look, that happens from day 
by day, from day to day, from faith to faith, glory to glory, day by day. Paul is clearly telling us, and I love how we use that word, do not lose heart. It's like he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us, look, do not lose heart when you realize that you're not there yet. Do not lose heart, because look, I know, when I gave my heart to Jesus, when I came across truth, I, I, I studied the reformers. I studied the history of this church. I studied how God had used young people to start this movement. And I, and I, I, I could see the kind of lives that they lived and how devout they were and devoted to God's word and his mission. And I'm looking at these people. I'm saying, I want to be there. Oh, And then I'm hit with reality. Whew. I'm not there. I come to church and they're preaching to me and I'm not, I have nothing against preaching standards because the people need to know that there are standards. Amen? We need to know that. But we also need to know that there's a process involved in getting there because we can get discouraged. Let's look at what Ellen White says. Ellen White says in The Faith I Live By, page 117, there is no such thing as instantaneous sanctification. True sanctification is a daily work continuing as long as life shall last. What is she saying? It doesn't happen straight away. Will it happen eventually? Yes. But there's a process involved. And I love these verses and I love this quote because I see that Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul, Ellen White, they're all preaching the same message. Yes, there is a standard. But there is a process involved from getting from A to B. It doesn't happen straight away. You know, we have so many instant things these days in, 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 in our world. We have instant cordial and we have instant, you know, because I know none of us here drink coffee. <laughs> we have instant coffee. We have instant tea. We have all of these things, right? But the one thing that isn't instant is what? Sanctification. There are three theological terms that are used um, with, with, with regards to our I guess our, 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 um, our, our spiritual walk. We have three words, famous words. We have justification, we have sanctification, and then we have glorification. Now let's look at justification. Is justification something that happens instantly? Justification. You see, I believe that the Bible teaches me that the moment that I recognize that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, that the moment that I recognize that God sent His Son to this world to die for my sins, and I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior by faith, I believe that the Bible teaches me that at that moment, I am justified. That's called justification. It happens how? Straight away. There's another one called glorification. The Bible teaches me that how is that going to happen? In the twinkling of an eye, just like that, glorified. I can't wait for that day, amen? Can we wait for that day? That day that we don't have to struggle with our sinful natures anymore. Our temptations are going to be gone. Oh, it's going to be a beautiful day, amen? But that day is going to happen. That moment happens straight away. The one that doesn't happen straight away is sanctification. But so many of us, we want that one to happen straight away, don't we? And when it doesn't, I've stopped at times in my Christian walk, I've stopped going to Bible study. I've stopped attending church. I praise God that it wasn't for long. And I praise the Lord that he snapped me out of it quickly. But it was because of this issue. 
And let me tell you something. Reading and knowing that when you're in ministry, God calls you to an even higher standard. When you fall in ministry, it can be one of the most discouraging things that you have ever got to face in your life. But there's something that I want to share with you this morning that I hope that if we ever are faced with a situation like that, we will be encouraged instead of discouraged. Before I go there, I want to talk about struggling in your Christian walk. You know, I have a friend of mine that every time I see him, every time without a doubt, I don't see him very often, but every time I see him, I always say to him, hey Matt, how you doing? He always says the same thing to me every time. You know what he says? So I'm struggling. I'm struggling, Josh. When he first used to say that to me, me early on in my ministry, I, I didn't know what to say to him. I just changed the subject. I, I didn't know how to, how to deal with something like that. Until God opened my eyes about something. And the next time that he said that to me, I said, how you doing, Matt? He says, Josh, I'm struggling. I looked at him and I said, praise the Lord that you're struggling. Praise God that you're struggling. Should we praise the Lord if we're struggling? Let's think about this. I know that before Jesus, BC, before Christ entered my heart, guess what? I didn't struggle with sin. I love sin. I wanted to sin more. The more sin for me, the better. I had no issue, no qualms, no worries. Sin, yeah, bring it on. Give me more of that. It was the moment that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ that all of a sudden a struggle began inside of me. The Holy Spirit started working and when these things were, were, were um, you know, when, when I was in front of them or, or whatever, there was a struggle now because inside I didn't want to do those things anymore. So if you're struggling, you need to praise God because that is evidence that the Holy Spirit is still working inside of you. And when there is evidence that the Holy Spirit is still working inside of you, guess what? There is still hope. There is still hope. I'll give you a scenario, and I'm going to use Dora Creek because we're here at Dora Creek, and Dora Creek's a beautiful creek. It's not dirty at all. It's beautiful. You can see all the way to the bottom. It's lovely. There are some very nice parts of Dora Creek, though, when you go down that walk near the swing bridge. So say, you know, it's a nice, I don't know, it's a nice Sunday afternoon, and you're on Dora Creek, and you're paddling, you're in a, you've borrowed a, a kayak, and the sun's setting, and it's just this beautiful this beautiful scene, you just see like, it just looks amazing, right? And it's just so calm and so peaceful. And you're there, you're, you're kayaking along. And all of a sudden, you see something in the background, in the distance. And you're getting closer to it. And as you get closer to it, you realize this is what you're seeing. All right, ready? <gasps> what is that? Someone drowning. All right, let's call that scenario A. Scenario B goes like this. Same, same scene, you're at the same place, same time of the day. You're kayaking along. And as you're kayaking, you're just enjoying the, the scenery. All of a sudden, you hear a, a thump on your kayak. And you look across, you look over, and there's a floating body, dead in the water. Now, let me ask you a question and be honest. And I hope you all answer the same way. Which scenario do you prefer? Scenario A, with the drowning man, or scenario B, with the dead man? 
Why do you prefer scenario A? Because there's still hope. Do we see? Do we get this? If you're struggling, you need to praise God. You can do something about it. You can get on your knees. You can pray. You can seek the Lord with all your heart. But it is a sign of hope and a sign that the Holy Spirit is still working inside of you. Let's go to the book of Proverbs 24. We're going to read a verse, a very important verse in the book of Proverbs chapter 24. We're talking about the issue of what happens when you fall. What happens if you fall in your Christian spiritual experience, your walk with Christ? What happens if you fall? Now, for some of us here this morning, this verse might not apply because there are some here that never fall. Am I right? No? Also, this this is going to apply to every one of us? Amen. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. The Bible says, for a righteous man, what kind of a man? A righteous man falls how many times? Seven times and rises again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. According to this verse, who falls more, the righteous or the wicked? The righteous or the wicked? The righteous. The Bible tells me that the wicked man, he falls and he stays there. The righteous man falls, but what does he do? He gets back up. Maybe the reason why he keeps falling is because he keeps getting back up. Maybe. But this is the thing. The Bible is speaking of a righteous man. Who is a right? What is a righteous man? A righteous man. Who would we consider to be righteous people today? Christians, right? Followers of Jesus. People who are proclaiming the three angels' messages and telling the whole world to keep the law because they themselves keep the law perfectly. Righteous people. The Bible is telling me here that the righteous man falls seven times. The issue is not that he falls. Let's get this very clear. The issue is not that he falls. The issue is whether he, what is he going to do once he has fallen? What decision, what choice is going to be made by the righteous man when he falls? Because if he ends up staying down, he becomes the wicked. Do we see that? But if he gets back up again, let me ask you an honest question. Is it hard to get back up sometimes? Hmm. I'll tell you what happens to me when I have an experience like this. Someone starts whispering in my ear. What's the point? Look at you. You're going to go and give a preacher sermon next week? Really? You? Look at you. Why do you even keep trying? You just fail at this every time. Why are you going to get back up for? And then he starts. You remember your old life? Remember when you didn't worry about these things? Remember how good it was when you were in the nightclubs and you were out doing those things that you were doing with your friends? Why are you here struggling with this? Whose voice is that? Has he ever whispered something similar to you? What's the point of getting back up? Let's look at Psalm 37. And this is so important and so encouraging. Psalm 37 verse 23. Psalm 37, verse 23. Again, let's look at the language. Are we there? Amen. 
The steps of a what kind of man? A good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. This is a good Christian we're talking about. A man whose steps are ordered by the Lord and who delights in his way. Or as uh, David says, we delight in your law. Look what it says next. Though he fall. Wait, 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 wait. What's that? A good man falls? A righteous man falls? Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Now we need to get this. This is powerful. How is it that the righteous man gets back up? It is because when you fall, Jesus Christ extends his hand out to you and he says, My son, my daughter, don't be discouraged. Take my hand. I hope you get back up. I hope you get back up. I want to help you get back up. You see, the problem is that sometimes we listen to the voice of the enemy. The same voice that made Adam and Eve in the garden when God came back after they had sinned. What did they do? They ran away from God. They hid. Now look at the words that are recorded in Genesis chapter 3. The first recorded words from God to fallen human beings who had rejected him, who had walked away from him, who had chosen Satan over him, did God come looking for them to punish them? Did God look trying to, you know, um, put his wrath and his vengeance on them? No, we look at the first recorded words in scripture are, where are you? Where are you? Why are you running away from me? Why are you listening to that guy who's telling you, That I am something that I'm not. When I read the Bible, the Bible tells me that God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of forgiveness. He's long-suffering. He's a God that wishes that nobody be lost, but that everyone have eternal life. That includes me. That includes you. You have no idea, maybe even, that God is going out of his way to save you. He doesn't want you to be lost. He can't even contemplate spending the rest of eternity without you there by his side. That's the same God that when you fall, he comes running to you. Saying, come back to me, my child. Don't listen to the enemy. I think, you know, being a parent, I have two beautiful little girls. And I praise the Lord and and I praise God for those, those blessings and those gifts that he's given me. But... One of the things that I think parenthood has allowed me to get a, just a little bit of a better understanding of. I don't understand it completely. But just a little more of a glimpse into God's love as a father. You see, think about this. I remember, for those who have children, do you ever remember the, 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 the first time your, your child took their first steps? Their first steps. Just think back. To that moment. What was going through your head? What were you thinking? What's, what's, a, parent, what's, a, what's a parent think when they, their child is trying to walk for the first time? If, if, what happens if they fall? And let me ask you this. Mums and dads out there. When you are seeing your child take its first steps for the first time. Knowing that there is a possibility and sometimes they tumble over. What do we do at that moment? Do we not run over to them and try to pick them up and try to make sure that they're okay and get them back up? 
That is what God does. That is what he wants to do. But sometimes we don't let him do that because we listen to what the enemy says. Brothers and sisters, sanctification is the work of a lifetime. Let's keep reading the Bible. I'll give a few more verses to share with you. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. The Bible says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. How is it that we are to draw near to God? With a true heart in full assurance of faith, believing every single thing that his word says about him. Believing it, believing 1 John 1, 9, when he tells me that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins. But God isn't just happy with forgiving my sins. He wants to take it a step further and then cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is God, God, the God of love, that even though we had rejected and betrayed him, he sent his son into this world to pay the ultimate price for you and me. That when Jesus Christ was on the cross and he was being, he was being uh, all those terrible things that people were saying, they were, they were mocking him and they were yelling crucify him and they, they were just with this evil spirit trying to murder him. He turns around and he says, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. God is a God of love. And I cannot say that enough. Because ever since the fall of man. Actually take it back further than that. Ever since the war in heaven. Lucifer, Satan has been trying to misrepresent the character of God. And we live in a world where I see sometimes. I I go on the internet and I see just some of the most. It's sad. There's no other word but sad things that people are saying. About God, because their view of God is just so corrupted. They think God is an evil God. They think God is an unfair God. They think God is an unjust God. They think God delights in seeing us all suffer. And he just left us here to die and he doesn't care about us. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture tells me that He is a good God that loves me. And this is why this verse is telling us that we need to draw to Him, close to Him in full assurance of faith. Because you need to have faith in the Word of God. Because if you don't have faith, you're not going to be able to get back up. Because a lack of faith will keep you down. Let's go to Philippians 1. I'm going to wrap up soon. Philippians 1. This next verse, these next two verses I'm going to share with you are, are, for me, just so important. Powerful verses. This is a verse which I have had to come back to over and over and over and over again. Sometimes I feel like I just need to read these words myself just to remember what God is saying. Look at Philippians 1.6. The Bible says, being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with you yet. If you fall, if you're discouraged, remember God is trying to tell you, Oh, you have no idea the plans that I have for you. Get back up. And it's not just a matter of getting back up. We need to do something. All right, so 
Has anybody ever heard of the Christian leap? You ever heard that term before? What about the Christian jump? Have you heard of that one? What about this one? The Christian walk. Have you heard of the Christian walk? Beautiful book. One of my favorite books. And I encourage everybody to read this book. And if you haven't, you need to read this book. It's called Steps to Christ. And I love the words in the title of that book. It's implying that to get to Christ, I'm walking there. I'm on a journey. There's a process involved. It's steps to Christ. But see, I start in my walk with him and I'm just so passionate. I'm on fire and I just, I love him so much and I'm walking. I'm doing so good. But all of a sudden, I fall. What do I do at that moment? I get back up and I keep walking. I may fall again. What do I do? I get back up and I keep walking because he says to me that he who has begun a good work in me will see it finished. That's a promise, brothers and sisters. That's a promise. Can I get an amen? That's a promise. This needs to encourage you. This, you need to remember these things if you're ever in those situations. God is saying to you, get back up, keep walking. You have no idea what I want to still do with you. I struggle 95% of the time. Actually, pretty, it's pretty much 100% when I really think about it. Sometimes it struggles a little bit more than other days. But I struggle stepping into the pulpit. I do. When the Lord calls me to preach, and sometimes he's, he's called me to preach in just places where I'm just like, Lord, why me? Surely you can find someone more worthy than I am to preach your word. Surely you can find someone more righteous than me to share your word, Lord. And God turns around and he says, I'm choosing you. I don't understand it. In fact, God's love, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say, I don't understand it. I don't. Do you understand God's love? I don't. As human beings, you know, we, we constantly, man, how do, how do we act with each other as humans, right? So say, you know, I'm, you know me and you, we're friends. And, you know, we're, we're Christians and that even as Christians, you know, and, you know I, I betray you. You know, you might turn around and say, all right, I forgive you. Our relationship continues bit further down the line, I betray you again. It's a little bit harder for you to do now, but you still forgive me because you're a good Christian. And we continue our walk. We continue our friendship. But now, you, even though you've forgiven me, there's just some trust issues starting to build up. There's, so, you know, you're a little bit skeptical now about my intentions. Boom, guess what? I betray you again. All right, now you start to, now you start to change a little bit. Now just your human nature is making it a little bit more difficult and maybe now this time it's, it's very hard and yeah, you get to the point where you forgive me. But guess what? Our relationship's changed. Now we continue to be friends with a different kind of relationship. And then sooner or later, I end up betraying you again. You know, if I betray you enough times as human beings, inevitably we get to a point where we say, all right, that's it. Enough's enough. I'm done with you. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. You just lie to me all the time. You betray me all the time. You let me down all the time. I can't trust you. I don't want anything to do with you. That's what we do as human beings. Guess what? God doesn't do that with us. I don't understand it. 
But even though I don't understand it, I believe it. Because his word tells me that that's true. In your spiritual walk, you don't have to understand everything. Some things we'll never understand until we get to heaven. But what I can say is this, that if God's word says that it's true, you can take that to the bank. If he says it's true, you can believe it. And not only that, but you can claim it. Let's finish with this last verse, 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now I'm just going to warn everybody before I read this verse. This verse comes with a warning. This is a powerful verse that you're about to hear. Because of the implications of this verse. Now the sad thing is that many times we read scripture. We just read it and we don't take a moment just to think about what this verse is implying. Or any verse for that matter. To think about what God is trying to communicate to us through his word. Now I'm going to read this verse. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to think about it. And this would be a good time for you to pray to God and ask him to to do something. Because I'm telling you this verse is powerful. Watch this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. 2 Timothy 2.13. The Bible says, if we are faithless, he remains faithless. Faithful, he cannot deny himself. Take a second to think about that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. Honestly, seriously, take a second to think about that and what that implies. I don't see much of a reaction, so I'm going to try to unpack it for you a little bit. This is one of the verses in scripture that tears me apart. I'll tell you why. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. This verse is implying to me that every single time I turn my back on Jesus, every single time I walk away from God, every single time that I choose the world over him, every single time that I have let God down in my life, that I haven't trusted in his word, that I've put myself first, every single time I have let him down, he remained faithful. Do you understand what that means? Do you understand what that implies? How many times in our lives have we been faithless to him? And even though we continue to do it, he remains faithful. If that doesn't stir up something in your heart, I don't know what will. That verse literally breaks me up inside. It makes me fall on my knees when I'm reading it by myself. I cry at times and I say, Lord, why are you so good to me? Why do you love me so much? Why do you treat me the way that you do? I do not deserve it, Lord. God is so good. Yet we, at times of failure and at times of letting him down, we forget how good he is and we decide to just just stay down and not to get back up. We stop walking with the Lord. Brothers and sisters, if this message this morning is going to encourage you to do anything... It's to trust in the Lord with all your heart. To seek the Lord with all your heart. That if you ever find yourself in one of those situations of failure, of, of, of discouragement, of letting God down, to know that he is reaching out to you and he wants to help you to get back up. And if you trust him and you continue to walk, he who has begun a good work in you will see it finished. 
Can I get an amen? Amen. God is good. I'm going to finish with a quote. That awesome book that I spoke about earlier, Steps to Christ. Chapter 7. She writes, listen carefully. There are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be children of God. Anybody here known the pardoning love of Christ and desire to be his child? Yet they realize that their character is imperfect. If I could put my hand up higher, I'd put it up higher. Their life faulty. That's me. And they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. I've been there. Have you been there? She writes, to such I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off. Amen. Not forsaken and rejected of God. No, she writes, Christ is at the right hand of God who also maketh intercession for us. Said the beloved John, these things I write to you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And do not forget the words of Christ. The Father himself loveth you. He desires to restore you to himself, to see his own purity and holiness reflected in you. And if you will but yield yourself to him, he that hath begun a good work in you will carry it forward to the day of Jesus Christ. Pray more fervently, believe more fully. As we come to distrust our own power, let us trust the power of our Redeemer and we shall praise Him who is the health of our countenance. As we come to distrust our own power, see, we have a big problem in our church. We have a big problem in our spiritual life. It's that there's two different fights that the Bible speaks of. We have one known as the fight of works. If you read the Bible in context, you'll find that fight of works. It exists. There's another one that Paul speaks about called the good fight of faith. All right, the fight of works works like this. The fight of works is when I say, I get convicted about something. And I say, you know what? I'm going to make a change. I'm going to stop doing that. You know that thing that I eat that I shouldn't eat? I'm going to stop eating that. You know what, there's, there's TV shows that I know I shouldn't watch. That I'm going to stop watching those shows. That music that maybe I'm listening to, I shouldn't be listening. I'm going to stop listening to that music. Can you hear the language that I'm using? What am I saying? I'm saying, I'm going to stop. And when I, out of my own power, try to do these things, it's not long before I fail. I get discouraged. It's like, why? This doesn't work. But see, the Bible doesn't tell us to fight the fight of faith uh, of works. It tells us to fight the fight of faith. The fight of faith is the one that says, you know what? I can't do that. I have no power to overcome that. But he does. You see, I can't, I'm too weak, but he's strong. And I'll just finish with a short testimony of a preacher who was one Sabbath in a pulpit preaching. And he had a big problem. You see, he was raised as an Adventist. And he was an old school Adventist. And there was three things that he knew that as an Adventist were just incompatible with his life, you know, as an Adventist from what he had been taught about how Adventists should live. One problem was that he drank coffee 
And he was always taught, don't drink coffee. The other one was that he'd like to put a little bit of alcohol in his coffee. I think they call it an Irish coffee. Another thing that he was taught, you shouldn't drink that. And the last thing, the last issue that he had, the last sin that that he could not uh, uh, get uh, overcome was that he liked to smoke a cigarette while he drank his coffee with a little bit of alcohol. This is an Adventist born and raised in a church. Now he hears about the standards. And out of his own strength, he tries to stop that, but he is just too weak. He says that one morning I realized something and it changed my life. He says, I was on my balcony. It was a Sabbath morning. I didn't go to church because I was so discouraged. And I'm sitting on my balcony with my coffee, with alcohol in it, cigarette in the other hand. So discouraged. And he realized something at that moment. He looked up to the heavens. And he said this, he said, Lord, this is the best I can do. With tears in his eyes, this is the best I can do, Lord, but I know you can do better. That was the first time he surrendered his heart completely over to Jesus. And guess what happened? Last time he drank coffee, last time he drank alcohol, last time he smoked a cigarette. Because he finally realized that he needed to surrender to Jesus because he was too weak To overcome sin on his own. We are too weak to overcome sin on our own. But see, we don't have to fight that battle alone. God wants to help us. God wants to be there for us. And God wants to give us the victory. Brothers and sisters, if we ever fall, what are we going to do? Want to get back up and keep walking. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord. Lord, we just want to thank you for being so good to us, Lord. We want to thank you for loving us the way that you do, Lord. We want to thank you because you treat us in a way in which we do not deserve. Father, Lord, I pray that this may stir in our hearts, Lord, to want to to serve you and to live for you, Lord God, and to obey you more fervently than we ever have before. But let us realize and recognize that we can't do this out of our own strength, Lord, that we need you. As your word says, we are to abide in you because without you we can do nothing. Father, Lord, help us to realize that. Help us to surrender everything over to you, Lord. To walk in this relationship with you, Lord. And if we do fall, Lord, to remember that you are more than willing to get, help us to get back up. That you're extending your arm out to us. That you love us so much. Let us not forget the promises in your word, Lord. Let us be confident knowing that you who begun a good work in us will see, us, see it finished, Lord. And Father God, we know that all we need to do is keep getting back up. And if we keep getting back up, we know that one day you'll give us victory, Lord, and we won't be falling anymore. And let us have assurance and faith, Lord God, completely in you and your word. Help us to be encouraged instead of discouraged, Lord. And Lord, help us to do everything we can so that we can come home to you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. questions or comments in relation to today's program, you can call 3ABN Australia Radio within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or from outside of Australia on country code 61 2 
49733456. Our email address is radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. That is radio at the number 3abn Australia, all one word, .org.au. Our postal address is 3ABN Australia Inc. PO Box 752 Morissette, New South Wales 2264 Australia. Thank you for your prayers and financial support. short presentation on the history of the Reformation from lineagejourney.com. The song says it only takes a spark to set a whole fire going. And once the fire was lit in one part of Europe, it spread quickly to other areas. John Wycliffe had made a massive impact, not just in England, but further afield in Europe, in particular here in Prague and the region that was known then as Bohemia. John Huss was of humble birth, and his father died soon after he was born. His mother sought an education for him, and he was able to get admission to the University of Prague as a charity scholar. As she reached Prague with her son, she knelt down and prayed that God would bless his life, a prayer that was answered again and again. He soon distinguished himself by his tireless application to study and by his blameless life. Upon completing his studies, he entered the priesthood and rapidly rose to prominence, soon becoming attached to the court of the king. In a few short years, he was the pride of his country, and his name was known all over Europe. Today, they've built a statue to commemorate him here in the Old Town Square. Several years after becoming a priest, Huss was appointed preacher of the Bethlehem Chapel here in Prague. The founder of this particular chapel had advocated as a matter of importance the preaching of the scriptures in the language of the people. At that time, there was a large degree of ignorance concerning the Bible, and Huss also believed that it was vitally important to preach the scriptures in the language of the people. At this point in his life, Huss came in contact with Jerome, who had proved to be his right-hand man until his death. Jerome was a citizen of Prague, and he had brought back with him from a recent trip to England the writings of John Wycliffe. The Queen of England at that time was also a convert of John Wycliffe, and she was a Bohemian princess, and through her influence, his writings were circulated at length in Bohemia. Huss read them believed their author to be a sincere Christian and believed the writings to be true. Huss's impact was growing, not just here in his homeland, but also in neighboring Germany. And soon news of the work here in Prague reached Rome and he was summoned to appear before the Pope. To go would be fatal. The king and queen of Bohemia the nobility and the government all asked for a local trial, but this was not granted. 
the trial of Huss went ahead in his absence, during which the city of Prague was put under interdict. This struck terror into the hearts of everyone. No church services could take place. Baptisms, funerals, weddings, those ceremonies that were so key to life in general were not allowed to take place. And through this means, Rome was able to hold sway over the people. The city was in turmoil and Sahas withdrew to his native village, but he continued to travel to the surrounding countryside where he was able to preach to eager crowds. When the danger and excitement had subsided, he was able to return to Prague, where alongside with Jerome, he was able to continue his work. During this time in Europe, there was not one or two but three rival popes, all claiming to be the vicar of Christ. This abuse of power in the church was something that many men strongly condemned, Huss being one of the loudest voices. The emperor at that time, Emperor Sigismund, called for a council in Constance, Germany, to settle this dispute once and for all, and also to deal with some of the new heresies arising from men such as John Huss that they didn't agree with. Huss was summoned to appear before the council and was given assurance of a safe passage by the emperor. One thing that stands out from this story is the prayer that John Huss's mum made with him as he was on his way to university. I want to encourage you, if you're praying for a child, if you're praying for a parent, to never give up in your prayers. The prayer of John Huss's mother was answered many, many times over in ways that she couldn't have even imagined. Maybe you're praying for your children, maybe they're on their way to school, maybe you're praying for a loved one. Keep them in prayer and never think that our prayers will go unanswered. God does hear and God does answer our prayers. episodes in this series on the Reformation, go to lineagejourney.com. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.